brands are going to be multi-channel from day one. It just doesn't make sense to sell a product only in one place, given that the internet has been a democratizing force. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we're going to dive into the world of venture capital and consumer brands as we sit down with my good friend, Gotham Gupta, who is a partner at M13. Welcome to the show. Dave, thanks so much for having me. It's been a, a real dream to, to be on the show and uh, just excited for everything that you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. I'm not sure about dream, but it's always good to sit down and chat. So I want to start with a little bit about your background. As, as I mentioned, you've been on both sides of the table, both as a founder and now as an investor or returning as an investor. What led you into the space of venture capital and startups in the first place? So, you know, from a really young age, I was always interested in entrepreneurship and starting a business. And, you know, I felt like the path for me going into undergrad was actually to come out and be an entrepreneur, start a company. But I actually got involved in being an investor at General Catalyst really out of luck. Uh, I met some of the partners at General Catalyst when I was in undergrad. They gave me an offer to join as an intern. The internship was parlayed into a full-time offer. And I ended up staying for eight years. And so, you know, it was incredible fun. During that period of time, I really felt like I was just learning, 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 you know, not just from the people that I worked with, but the great entrepreneurs that I was talking to. And then I got to a certain point where I felt like I really wanted to take that learning and finally take the leap, you know, outside of the world of venture capital and start a company. And so in 2012, I left to start NatureBox. You know, part of the vision for the company was from my personal passion. Um, I really struggled with obesity growing up. Luckily, learned about nutrition and lost 70 pounds in six months just through diet and exercise. And so, you know, I wanted to start this company that could hopefully help other people eat healthier and make snacking a bit less, um, you know, junk and empty calories. So took the leap, started NatureBox after a six and a half year run as CEO. The business was finally at a place where it was stable and, you know, we could kind of transition out. I could transition out. And so, you know, I decided to um, really take a step back and hire a new CEO and joined M13 this year. And I was really drawn to the idea of going back into venture capital uh, because having been an operator, I felt now that I knew what it takes to start a company and I knew what it would take to support an entrepreneur going through that journey. And so I was really drawn to this idea of could you build the type of venture capital firm that I wanted as a CEO? And could you build that firm entirely comprised of operators? So talking about your time at NatureBox, you know, when you're in that role, you saw firsthand how the brands of the future are re being built across a whole lot of different industries. You know, what do you see as the defining characteristics of the brands of the future because of that? So I think in terms of brands, some things will change and some things will never change. Starting with the latter, the things that will never change, right? Consumers will always want a value proposition that is clear above all else, right? So the brand and the product have to deliver a great value proposition. I think that's first and foremost. That is, that's never going to change. In addition to that, I think brands will, successful brands will always be consumer focused, right? They will always be trying to figure out what are the problems that this brand can help a consumer solve. What will change is I think brands have become like people. 
And so consumers want a relationship with the brand that extends well beyond the product. So they want to understand what the values of that brand are. And that's why I think you're seeing brands become more vocal in the political arena. I think that's only going to continue. The other thing that I think will change is brands are going to be multi-channel from day one. It just doesn't make sense to sell a product only in one place, given that the internet has been a democratizing force, right? Where consumers can buy products online, offline, and even within those sectors, they can buy from you know dozens of different retailers and different outlets. So I think from day one, brands will be multi-channel and be you know sort of in a much larger set of places than they are today. And then I think the other thing that's going to change is if you think about the way brands were started 10 or 20 years ago, there was a constraint around the business model or the channel, right? So if you were, you know, a Procter & Gamble thinking about starting a new product or a new brand, you had to think about how to bring that product to market given the constraints of the retail environment and the margin requirements that a partner like Walmart might have. I think what's changing or has changed is now you can start products and brands that are unconstrained by those factors. And I think that's pretty exciting because you're starting to see entrepreneurs innovate in areas that probably weren't possible 10 years ago. I love that. So, you know, one of the things I think people misunderstand about venture capital is you're not investing in the next trend of tomorrow, six months from now, but much longer time horizon. And so when you think about that, how do you think about the ripple effects of consumer change and how that's going to play out, not in six months, but maybe in five years as you look at investments? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about technology right now is the pace of consumer change has only increased. And so if you think about the adoption of new technologies, it's pretty incredible to think about the number of smartphone devices that are out there in the world, right? And just how quick that adoption has happened. I don't know if you can remember the days of like, the first Nintendo coming out or, you know, the first time your your dad or mom came home with a VCR, right? Like that was like a mind-blowing thing. I think today the reality is technology is just being adopted so much faster. And so we do think a lot about these ripple effects with technology and what happens, you know, once a new technology is introduced. You know, the way I would describe it is, you know, if you look at the last five or ten years, when mobile phones came out, right, they came out with cameras, with GPS, and with other sensors. That created the opportunity for things like Uber and Airbnb, right? If you think about technologies like autonomous driving, what's really exciting there is, yes, people might subscribe to a car service now, right? You know, Tesla or Uber or things like that. But I think one of the interesting impacts that a technology like that may have is people will start to live further away from where they work. Because if you don't have to actually think about driving, you can be very productive sitting in the car getting work done. And so that might enable you to live two hours away from your office. And that's pretty compelling because that could create interesting investment opportunities around retail, you know, could change the face of real estate, right? Places that, you know, today consumers are not that attracted to, you know, really rural areas could become, you know, the next large suburbs of, of the United States. And you could just have a lot more fragmentation in, in where people live. Um, I think another, you know, example that we talk about a lot is, you know, if you think about voice recognition, right? Voice is a fundamental technology shift. Think about kids today, 
right? Kids are growing up learning how to interact with Alexa and Google Home long before they learn how to type. And I think that's pretty cool when you think about what applications that's going to enable, where today you and I are probably very used to, uh, you know, keyboard and inputting things, words and text and things like that. But just think about the future where all of the interactions that you have with your computing device are happening through the, the you know, through your voice and through a passive listening uh, device like your AirPods or like an Alexa. So, you know, with that in mind, how do you think large brands should be prioritizing their focus and their resources, thinking about all these changes over the coming years? I think one of the things large brands need to take stock of is where their core capabilities exist. Historically, large brands had incredible, you know, consumer insights, incredible R&D capabilities, and their ability to get a product onto the shelf is unparalleled, right? No startup is going to compete with Procter & Gamble in the ability to get a product onto the shelf. And so I think large brands need to realize that one of the big core competencies or capabilities that they have is actually around distribution, right? And if you think about the distribution muscle that a company like a Procter & Gamble or like a Kraft or you know any number of consumer businesses has, I think they can start to leverage that capability to jumpstart new brands, right? And so, you know, the, the things that whenever I talk to someone in a large brand, you know, the thing that I, I sort of say is, well, what if you weren't beholden to the brand portfolio that you had today, but what if you viewed your business as test and learn, right? Get things into the market, see what works, and then double down on that. And so that's what... I'm personally very excited about in terms of where large brands could start to shift and spend their time and focus. You know, I think in addition to that, the, the thing that I would tell, you know, any large brand or large business is to really start to consider vertical integration opportunities or just opportunities to be closer to the consumer. I think that over time, you're going to see brands occupy different areas, different services, really think of, you know, what Tide has done around dry cleaning and, you know, the washing machine service that they have. I feel like that's going to be commonplace in the future. Anything that can give you exposure to the consumer, you know, where you have that direct relationship. And so that's one of the big things I encourage brands to think about is just don't be constrained by the current business model, the current set of dis uh, distribution options, but just really think about what the use case is for the consumer and be willing to kind of do some things that, that maybe don't look like they could scale. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So that leads naturally to the question then of how should brands be thinking about the innovation economy? So what do you think they're getting right and what are they getting wrong about the way that they're going to understand these trends, engage with startups, engage with investors? 
I think one of the things that large, particularly consumer packaged goods companies do, but, but all consumer companies, they have an incredible understanding of the consumer. The amount of consumer insights work that a large company does versus a startup is day and night, right? I mean, the, the degree of which someone at Procter & Gamble understands the consumer versus someone at a startup. So I think understanding the consumer and really driving towards real consumer insights and then having the R&D to back it up, right? Like I, those are things that startups just can't compete with. They just don't have the funding. They don't have the, the runway to go and do those things or to build those capabilities. That's what I think big brands are doing right. I think in terms of what big brands are probably not doing right, the first one is to not have clear goals or ground goals, right? And so the reason why that's so important is at the end of the day, you know, any business is starved for resources and they're, they're constrained by their bandwidth and, you know, where they're going to spend an hour of their day. If you don't have a clear goal, any innovation project within a large business is going to suffer, right? And those goals need to be tailored towards whatever, you know, the, the scale of the opportunity is. Um, but I think one is just not having clear goals and ground rules. I'd say the other thing is a lot of large companies force the issue of scale on day one. They say, hey, we're not going to look at this opportunity unless there's a path to being 500 million or a billion dollars of revenue. I think that's a real mistake because how many companies or ideas look like they could have that scale on day one? Very few, right? You know, I just think about the number of startups that are now part of the consumer vernacular. Like if you ask someone Uber, about Uber Black on day one, how many people would say that's going to be a 50 to $60 billion company? I don't think anyone in the world could have imagined that. And so I think, you know, large companies need to, to operate with the same principles. So related to all that, some of the biggest growth that we're seeing is coming from online. And you saw that firsthand with NatureBox and a lot of your other experiences. How do you think a brand can crack the online code? and really use that as an advantage, knowing that they have the traditional distribution and everything else to deal with. I think that actually this is an area where large brands have an advantage over startups. Because to crack the code online, um, you actually, you know, if you have an existing customer base, if you have existing distribution channels, you're already at an incredible advantage. And so one thing I would say is leverage the existing assets right? Leverage what you've already got to drive people towards online channels. The other thing I'd say that a lot of people don't realize is direct-to-consumer and online has a cumulative effect, right? That offline distribution does not. And so if you think about offline distribution, every year you go sit down with that buyer, do a review, talk about what the you know plan is for this year, but there's not as much of a cumulative advantage that you're building over time, right? Because next year another brand could launch that could take share away from you. Now suddenly they're you know getting all the support from that retail partner. The reality is that the internet actually gives an advantage to brands that have cumulatively over time executed, right? And I think you can see this in Amazon, you can see this in Google. 
the more reviews you have, the more, the better your conversion is on Amazon, the more, you know, that becomes a, a virtuous cycle, right? You're just going to convert more and more and more. And you know this. Same thing with Google, right? The better the quality score, you know, you're, it's harder to unseat that person. And so, so I just think one of the things large brands need to realize is that one of the big differences is you have to start early on the web. You have to invest in channels that may not be proven yet. You have to, you know, spend time with the new players that are still scaling. You know, the TikToks of the world today, right? Um, versus, you know, the Facebooks of the world today, because there is this cumulative effect. So, related to that, what categories are you watching to? the most when it comes to looking for that next big game-changing company? Is there anything that's really on your radar? I've been, as it relates to e-commerce and kind of direct-to-consumer brands, there are two categories that I'm spending a lot of time in, uh, kind of, and not even categories per se, just like two kinds of things that I'm looking at. One is high order value, you know, highly considered purchases. And so I'll give you an example of this. I'm really interested in what the next generation of home appliances looks like, right? It's a little bit off the wall, but if you think about it, you know, and I know you've, you know, you have a beautiful home and like, you've probably done a lot of this work, right? How much time did you spend thinking about like the refrigerator and the dishwasher? These are huge purchases, right? Mm -hmm. And so I actually think that there's a lot of, you know, sort of a lot of that purchasing process today happens offline. There's no reason why it couldn't happen online, right? A lot of the research is happening online anyway. I also think what's interesting is as consumers become more conscious of things that are energy efficient and environmentally friendly, and even as you go to you know the, the next billion population, right? Uh, you go to places like India and China, you need different appliances, right? Like things that are built to you know, on require far less energy built for, you know, less stable grids and things like that. So one of the places that I'm spending some time is, you know, what is the next, you know, generation of air conditioners and dishwashers and washer dryers? I mean, you go to India, you never see a, a drying machine, right? People still use a clothesline. You know, we kind of take that for granted here, but like anywhere in Asia, People just don't have these these appliances. So, so that's one kind of bucket or one area. The other thing that I'm always looking for is just, and that catches our eye, is highly recurring, high-frequency purchases. And so, you know, think of that as like the next dollar shave, right? Anything that a consumer is thinking about on a daily basis. You know, I personally like the supplement realm. Um, you know, I like a lot of the consumer, you know, personal care products and things like that for that reason. Consumers are thinking about it every single day, right? They're interacting with that product every day, and I think that's pretty special. I love that. So, you know, startups and venture capital, they're fast-moving, to say the least. And that requires guys like you that are sitting in the seat of looking for what's next to be thinking about staying ahead for yourself and your own personal professional development. What are your tips that you're using to kind of stay ahead of where things are going? I feel like my tips are going to be uh, so generic um, because, you know, honestly, a lot of it is like listening to podcasts like this, you know, reading a lot. I have the great fortune of having, you know, friends like you and I know you had Samil on the program recently, you know, just friends that spend a lot of time thinking about where is technology going, where is venture capital going. 
So spend a lot of time, you know, talking to people and just, you know, sort of uh, through osmosis, trying to understand what are you thinking about? What are we thinking about? I'd say the, the couple things that I do that might be unique. So one is just try to keep a very open mind. Like I think often if I feel like I'm being dismissive about a certain idea, I'll try to actively stop myself and take the other you know, side of the approach. The other thing is every year I try to you know, focus on learning one new you know, sort of thing. And so I'll give you an example. Like this year, it's been really learning about Amazon. And so I just try to, you know, talk to as many smart people as I can to understand, hey, what's going on with Amazon, right? Like, you know, how, if you're a brand today, how do you think about Amazon? Are they friend or foe? And so every year, you know, which it feels like for me, like one is kind of a very reasonable, achievable number. I just try to pick one big thing happening and, and really spend some dedicated time kind of figuring it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending the time to chat. Always fascinating to listen. If somebody wants to get a hold of you and talk about M13 and what you're looking, what's the best way? My email's uh, the, the best way. It's gotham at m13.co. Gotcha. And how do you spell Gotham? Just so somebody knows. Yeah, G-A-U-T-A-M. M is in Mary. So. Perfect. Not yeah. like New York City. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Although I probably have that alias set up at M13. So. <laughs> I love it. Well, always a pleasure. Thanks again. We'll uh, talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.